Hello everyone and welcome back to Feeding Curiosity with our bonus episode for the 4th of July and a discussion around freedom. Um, this podcast is all about going deep and going into important shit, for lack of a better term. And, you know, getting my friends Joe Joukowsky and Jordan Chris on the show and just kind of riffing on what is freedom, um, where we really don't actually... It's we, we like circle around what freedom is a lot of it and it's <laughs> it's actually quite interesting and this conversation is a lot of fun for me to think about and just from my point of view right now being able to record this and talk to all of you guys around the world for instance is honestly an amazing exercise of freedom and it's not lost on me and it's kind of mind-blowing at just what kind of impact being able to follow whatever it is that you want to do and for me it's doing this podcast and this website and following this feeding curiosity thing every day and um i like to hope that the founding fathers of the american experiment whatever this country is would have applauded the internet and would have been blown away by the power it gives an individual and to be able to do whatever it is they want to do and um yeah, it, to not to be super serious because this should be a celebratory day for everything. And so without further ado and rambling any further, please enjoy this conversation on freedom. And I hope each and every one of you who do celebrate are having a blast today with friends, family, and all that jazz. So thank you for joining us on this wonderful ride. exist i don't know <laughs> let's do some mushrooms and find out <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad i recorded that part of it <laughs> oh boy <laughs> i'll probably delete it to be no, totally no, no 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 <laughs> <laughs> that's okay i don't need a career <laughs> <laughs> well welcome to the podcast everybody hello We're, hello this is going to be a special edition of the podcast for fourth of july fourth of july Woo! Yep. and uh what better topic than to discuss freedom so that's basically what i did is like today is saturday before fourth of july so we're not doing the, we're doing this in the past for the future wait what? that's really <laughs> trippy <Yeah, I know. laughs> <laughs> keeping in line with the stream stuff <laughs> time warping yeah. anyways um the idea happened is that we're doing a graduation party for my Self and my brother, so shout out to Nick. Go listen to his podcast episodes. Um, and what better way to pregame than talk about freedom before we all meet up for a crazy party? Of this is basically like just a giant hype train for us for a pregame. Yeah, yeah. Let's fucking get freedom. Yeah, yeah. Basically, <laughs> that, that was the whole point. It's like I'm imagining like we I might do some like you know Amer American Eagle like yeah. or something in the background. <laughs> As I'm, I'm terrible. How did that go? What was that time? <laughs> you only get one. Uh, I only get one. <laughs> One. Is there like coupons for another one? Or like <laughs> I don't know. It depends on how much I drink. <laughs> We're going to be like slightly more patriotic as this goes on. <laughs> We're going to be wearing American flags. By the end of it, I will be a bald eagle and just squawk and fly away. <laughs> Animorph Joe. Dude, remember those books? Yeah, like for like Jesus Christ. Talk about memory lane. Yeah. Dude, those were awesome. I still read them. You know how many <laughs> You and I... <laughs> You know what I remember? I remember those, um, 
elementary school like book buying days where they came yep. in mm. with those in the it was like those gymnasium steel whatever carts yeah, yeah. Like steel carts just they'd open them up and they'd be full of books they'd be yeah. the bookshelves and i'd buy a bunch of them and i wouldn't read them <laughs> I feel like that's how most people like buy books. This is like some Pokemon shit. Like I go and collect Pokemon cards. I go and collect these books and yeah. then never do anything with them. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's how I figured out what a manga was. What really? Yeah, because I didn't know. Because I opened it and I'm like, why the fuck is it backwards? You know what I mean? I was like, what the? It's like, what is this thing? And then I was like, oh, this that's is cool. Awesome. So I bought like a whole. I have like a whole bunch of random, like manga. I don't know if they're anime now, but just like random shit right. later on. What was the first one you read? Do you remember? It was called Orphan. Orphan. Oh, I think. Orphan or Omen. I think it was Orphan. And it was like, I bought like six of them. It was like super dope. Weird. And I kept trying to see if they made an anime of it. I don't think they ever did. Huh. That's not what I would expect. We read a, I remember we would buy a bunch of manga when I was young. It was like, what the, Sayuki? Yeah, that was what you were. I liked Sayuki, except that was definitely not appropriate for my age at the time. (laughs) There's nudity in it and like a ton of gore. Yeah. And I was like, young me was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That dude just got cut in half. Whoa. <laughs> and there's freedom for you, Joe. Yeah, is that what freedom is? Yeah. Being Jeez, able to read terrifying. what you want when you want? <laughs> I guess, yeah. Censorship. How dare they censor a child from seeing boobs and porn. <laughs> boobs and porn and violence. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have no idea where you guys want to take this. At all. I don't either. That's a really broad subject. It's super. It what about it? You want me to get philosophical, bro? I'm assuming you would get philosophical with it. Yeah, no. but I, I mean, I could just leap into it. But <laughs> you normally do. I don't, all right. <laughs> you know, Fine, it's, my it's like 95 <laughs> degrees out. Take us to the deep end, Joe. I don't know. So what it looks like to me <laughs> is that so there's a bunch of debates about whether or not like free will exists. Oh yeah. And then if you're, I go back and forth on this one a lot. Yeah, me like too. Like Sam Harris, he breaks my brain with this. Yeah, because if it's a if it's a Newtonian universe, universe, then basically it doesn't make any sense that we have free will at all. Mm-hmm. So Newton talked about. He said that if you give him the location of every particle in the universe, he could tell you when where everything is now and where the it will be at the end of the universe. Hmm. Which was a statement about determinism. It was everything is in its place and it's all going to be in a certain place, and you could just figure it out with the laws of physics and you have no real choice in the matter so if things are a purely newtonian universe then it makes no sense that we have any free will it's just determined and we just think that we have free will free will is just the phenomenon that we experience of feeling as if we have some kind of choice Hmm. but we don't actually have choice it's just a it's just a thin veneer across an insanely complex universe and biological system that we are. Um, but there's other views, in part because Newton is not really the king of worldviews, of scientific worldviews anymore, because Darwin came along. And what Darwin showed was that there's a certain amount of choice that exists within the system. So there's not just natural selection, which makes a lot of sense with um, the Newtonian view, which just things are according to nature and the environment mm-hmm. helps select what does and does not survive, and what survives propagates and evolves. But there's also sexual selection, which you, or, uh, Darwin talked about. And sexual selection actually implies a certain amount of choice because humans, for example, are really choosy with their mates. Mm-hmm. Chimps will basically bang whatever. Bonobos? <laughs> bonobos will literally bang whatever. Family, they don't care. Nothing. Nothing's, literally nothing. What was it? Autumn. What was the... One exception to what bonobos won't have sex with. 
I mean, there's a couple, but one of them is a mother with her son that's over five years old. Yeah, but everything else. It's really specific. <laughs> that's super specific. That's uh, so crazy. I don't know, they're choosy, apparently. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that's too much. <laughs> that's the line. <laughs> Come back next year. <laughs> Slaps him on the ass. <laughs> oh, God. Dear Lord. But, every, but humans are different. And, and chimps will, will um, selectively mate, but it's a little different. So it's not that the women are choosy. They'll sleep with anyone. But the dominant male chimps will chase off the other chimps. Hmm. So the less dominant ones. So then the most dominant then probably get more. Humans are different. So we don't do any of those strategies. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> what we do is there's something like two hierarchical systems that exist between men and women. Like women have one hierarchical system and men have a different one. And the men compete for dominance within their own system. And then the women competing in their own, the, the most how would you say? The women at the top of that hierarchy peel off the top. They take the the best, quote-unquote, men at the top of that hierarchy and they select them. The highest status, mm. the highest something achievement, whatever it is. Which is part of why money is the gold digger trope came up, right? Mm. It's women that are theoretically con- conflating money and capability. Mm. So what they're selecting for is they're really trying to select capability, which is the top of the hierarchy. The men at the top of the hierarchy are most capable of creating resources, finding resources, building, survival, mm-hmm. caring for the mother and child, etc. And they're, the women are trying to select for that thing. But in the gold digger trope, they're using money as a means of judging whether or not that person is productive. Makes sense. Yeah. So, so you can have either. And I've heard um, Brett Weinstein, Brett Weinstein talk about um, how artists fit this really well. Oh. What you see with the young artist is not an investment in someone thinking that that artist has a bunch of resources and status now, but an investment in future possible resources. That hmm. It's a gambling on the talent of that artist to create means of resources in yeah. the future. And the creativity, in some sense, is a means of thinking outside the box to find novel solutions to problems. Yeah. And that... It's like a dice roll. Because it's like if you, the the probability you're going to not make it is like really high, but the probability that you do make it, and then the accompanied monetary it could be a gain, high risk, high reward. Yeah, it's like super high risk, high reward. But kind keep of in thing. mind too that creativity isn't just what we think of an artist. Yeah, creativity, and this is another portion of what I was learning in this creativity course I just took at Michigan over the summer. Was that creativity is also a it's the attempt to create something original and functional. That oh. there is something new that hasn't been done before that solves a problem and that in solving that problem, it exclaims its functionality, that it has that purpose, that it can do something. Now, maybe huh. that function is just aesthetics. Yeah. Right. But that is a function and it can be novel under that function. And so then to me, it seems like creativity and freedom are really interlinked they are interlinked because if you don't have there's this it takes us to to a really interesting point too but if you don't have if you have too many constraints then you don't have the freedom to move around look at it from a new angle and Mm -hmm. come up with a new solution right because maybe everybody's thought about this problem in this narrow avenue Mm -hmm. but the real the best solution is outside that narrow avenue 
It's take a 180 degree look at this thing. Yeah. And from that perspective, now you've got a new <laughs> means of attacking this thing. And that's creativity. It's a new solution outside of the normal, the norm. Yeah. That works. It's functional. Mm -hmm. But what's really interesting about the creative creativity research too is that if you have no constraints, you, have, you decrease the amount of creativity. You actually need some constraints in order to produce creativity. So if you yeah. actually add in some, then people are more creative. Hmm. And it's like, okay, so you can only... Oh, my God. Right. I, it just like a light bulb went up for me there because I'm just like, oh, my... Like, I was just so doing that So what does yesterday. that say about freedom? <laughs> that freedom, true freedom, right, the ability to go everywhere, to do whatever, to actually take that action, in some sense, requires some constraints on your action. Mm -hmm. So you only exist free within con a confinement, a confined space. So for me, then, at least the, the, the thought that just kind of popped in my head, it's like you... When in a, given in a system that you have the ability to pursue what you want when you want, it requires you to almost self-limit to some degree to then be able to optimize your creativity. You have to. And if it's a problem-solving thing, which it looks like that that's what the, the, the evolutionary platform is for being mm -hmm. creative, right? That you have a bunch of problems and you need creativity to solve them in mm -hmm. ways that will work. And if you're not, if you don't have people that are creative in your social sphere, then you're not going to find a way to get around a problem mm -hmm. that eventually, maybe you've solved all the problems you faced before. And now people who aren't creative just stick to that formula. Yeah. But now when there's a new problem, all the people that only know how to solve problems using the formula that's already been there are screwed. Yeah. Because they have no means of getting around this new thing. Yeah. But the creative people come around to go, aha, and then they search and they find a problem for this and that increases survival. Mm-hmm. So you need that for that platform. But that means that you actually need a problem to solve. Yeah. Right. And that's a constraint in itself. And to find the problem first. So like too. if I say right now, if we came into this podcast and say, hey, we're going to talk about a topic and said, okay, mm -hmm. go. We wouldn't know what the fuck to talk like, about. <laughs> like, okay, wait, what? Where do we start? Yeah. Because you have every option in the world. You have infinite number of options. I could literally sit here and describe, I could count all the little patterns on this <laughs> table, this place map. Yeah. You know? I could just look at that and just count them. Yeah. And that would count. That is a topic. Yeah. <laughs> right. It does. But that's not interesting. stupid topic. Right. <laughs> so we're constrained by interest. Yeah. At least. At the, yeah. Mm -hmm. At the very minimal. It's interest of the person, which... I don't even know how you categorize what interest is. <laughs> it's complicated. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I don't even know if we have enough space here to be able to talk about what that is. And it's a very interesting thing to even think about in general as this, a thought experiment, which we'll probably get into as we get more drunk later on today. Oh, but here's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But what's really cool, too, is that, and I touched on this as like a preface to in my article that I wrote. That For the, the um, locus of being? Yeah, which is an idea that the body is something like a container for experience. I love that. But like, I'm only halfway through still, but it's like really good. The whole beginning part is literally just me setting up the fact that if you don't have limitation, then you can't have experience. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, that's what I really liked about it is because the, the, the fact that something is distinct from another, like the table is different than the chair mm -hmm. or I'm different than you. Right. And I use color to explain this. Yeah. Red versus so, blue. So if you have, and this is really fascinating too. So in the visual color spectrum, um, if you have all colors present at once, 
all those wavelengths are being presented mm-hmm. to you at once, that's you don't experience all those colors. You experience white. Yeah. That every wavelength comes in and it's white. But when they get separated, like through a prism, like the Pink Floyd yep. t-shirt. That's the best example cover. of a prism ever for <laughs> right. physics and it gets light. fragmented into the different colors. So a rainbow isn't exactly all things being presented to you at once. It's more like they've been parsed, they've been distinctly separated, mm-hmm. and then you experience them first. Yeah. So it's, there's a step in between. So in order to experience color, you actually need to... You need to understand each one separately you first. Separate <laughs> you have to separate You have to make yeah. them distinct. And that distinction is a limitation because red is not blue. Mm-hmm. All right? So red not being blue oh, means wow. that it is limited... Because it is not also blue, and then, and then you see, and then you just keep adding more and more distinction. Lets you expand out that spectrum further. It's, it's the creation of concepts within categories and yeah. new categories, right? Because like a shade of red, it, you know, then becomes pink or right. whatever. We that's what, that's <laughs> I think what we've been doing with culture since we became conscious is that what we're doing is we're we had an impression of the world. Bam! Here's the world as is. This is face value. We woke up like this is the first person that ever. This is your Adam. This is your Adam and your Eve, mm-hmm. right? They turned on and they had no fucking concept of what the fuck was going on. It was yeah. just here's a world and I have no idea what this is. Mm-hmm. And then from that point forward, they had to make conscious distinctions of what things were and make categories. Yeah, building things. frameworks is basically right. they're what trying it to understand the world around them and they do that by saying, "Okay, wait, that thing is different than that thing." And we've gotten better and better and better and more higher and higher resolution mm-hmm. as time has gone by. So now we've gotten to the point where we have a thousand different kinds of trees. Yeah. Or just right. shrubs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Or you just have a billion different types of whatever, whatever it is. You ask, you you dive for 10 minutes into any scientific concept and you will find that it's unfucking godly complicated. And that is the creation of distinction amongst things. But all that is to say that to experience it all requires that you have a distinct experience from something else. All experiences is not an experience. It is just a statement of fact of things. Right. It's yeah. all things at once. But when you create and use the body as a limiting factor to create distinction, then you have distinction experiences amongst yeah. people. So you can exist and experience things. And that that's what allows, one, that's what necessitates limitation. And our form of limitation that's, is the body. That's super weird. And, but it makes a lot of sense, like, from, like, a less philosophical standpoint, but looking at how the structure of how the modern world kind of builds frameworks or building the frameworks upon, the easiest one to look at is, like, realms of science, mm-hmm. or you can even take music and other creative realms, yeah. where you start at one point, right, and it's super simplistic, like, you take one instrument and you go as deep as you can with that one instrument, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden a new instrument comes, comes along and you have, like, the electric guitar, and then just blows away the old jazz paradigm because now all of a sudden it's because you can use technology and leverage it in a new way. Yeah. And certain people just capture that and they just, you know, they just take it and run with it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the but the real thing that I think happens is is there's those people that drill deep. You know, they make a canyon in one subject. Yeah. But then you also need those people that can look broadly at the plane, and then be like, oh hey, this thing over here looks really similar to this thing over here. Yeah. And one of the examples, so I'm reading a book right now called Range, and the subtitle is Why Generalists Succeed in a Specialized World. And what it's looking at is what 
the reason is that you shouldn't go super deep or that even though you go deep on something, you can then jump ship and flip into something else completely unrelated yeah. and still succeed. Yeah. Because you can think of that like the patterns composer. exist. Exactly. The patterns remain. And so one of the examples, and I'm going to paraphrase this horribly, and I really want to talk about this in more detail, but one of the examples they give in psychology is the, the in doctor, I, th- I forget what doctor it is for, but basically you have a tumor, but you have, and the only way to target this tumor is you have right now a wavelength of, of radiation that can kill that cell. But the problem is that intensity kills all cells going through it if you just do a direct targeted assault. How do you save that patient? Oh, this is a psychology. It's a psychology. It's a thought experiment. It's a thought experiment. And so then from there, they start giving you examples in domains that don't make sense to the actual problem. So they talk about how there's a general trying to take over a city, but the city has narrow roads and you can only get troops around. So what he has to do is synchronize watches and get the soldiers to go from different points around the city to meet up at one point. And then the other example is a fire station, and you have everybody in the town is scrambling and they're trying to put out a fire, but no one's synchronized. They're just throwing water on it, and then the fire chief tells everyone to stop. Now everyone, on the count of five, everyone throw their buckets on the fire, and then the fire's put out. So how would you solve that problem? Right, so now how do you solve the problem of the tumor? Yes. You have a bunch of different... Uh, lasers going yeah in. pointing in the direction so they're they low enough intensity to converge on the tumor hmm. and i so as i read this in this book before he got like like halfway through the firehouse example i stopped and wrote in the margins my answer and he's like then i turned the page and he goes did you get the answer right he's like don't worry most people don't get the answer right until they're told to look at those examples in context yeah. to the problem it's like 80% of people get it right after whole, that. There was a full-on... I learned about this in cognition. There's a whole study about that. Yeah. They literally figure out the the more... It's like if you give somebody the problem, if you get, and then you give somebody the problem with those analogs, they measure... Yeah, I have all the stats yeah. in the book. It's really super interesting for me because I think that's part of why engineering is so fascinating for me like as a framework to understand the world because it's less about what branch of engineering you pick it's about being able to see the parallels in systems and just be like, how does this all fit together? And then what is the best model I can represent these problems with to solve said problem? Mm-hmm. Like it's maximizing working within your own context, like your own limitations yeah. is what I kind of see engineering as at this point. And I was like, wow, I like the fact that I even understood it enough and be able to look at it and be like, oh, hey, I, I like saw the through line quicker than like even reading it like it didn't tell me i was like let me see if i can figure it out like i like really tried to figure it out in that like just reading it as like training myself that same thing is in education uh, i talked to a professor i know about this who did a I think he two phds but anyway <laughs> he, he knows a lot about education and one of the things that he know or talk, told me about it was how you really want to teach somebody you need to give them metaphors mm-hmm. and that's what this is yeah it's the same it's the same dynamic playing out there is that you give them an analog so they can look at it from a different angle and that's what a metaphor is doing a metaphor is presenting another way of thinking right. about it it's more digestible so you can go back to the original problem mm-hmm. and then digest that with the help of the initial or the, yeah. the, the metaphor so uh, one of the other chapters that he deals with his analogies is huge. So he uses Kepler as one of his examples for anal- master of analogy. And the way he came up with his version of astrophysics or ast- astronomy to be able to figure out one of his problems was the Mars uh, conundrum. 
So when you looked at Mars in the sky, there'd be a point in time where it looked like it would retrograde, where it would where it would go forward in the sky, and then it would kind of do a little mini loop and then keep going forward. Kepler, not Copernicus. Kepler, huh. he was the one who solved the problem. They they Copernicus no- just noticed. Yeah, noticed. they noticed it, but no one wanted to deal with the problem. And so Kepler was the one who like okay. actually dove into it. I don't know why I thought that. Anyway, no, you're right though. Copernicus did start. He was the the cent the center of Earth theory, and then Kepler's he, theory blew that out of the water and said, "Nope." No, I thought Copernicus was the one that recognized the retrogrades. Maybe, but I know Kepler. Whatever was, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. Um, but Kepler was the one that kind of figured out how like the basis of gravity before gravity became a term, <laughs> because he used analogies from other areas in physics at the or in science at the time, but using his own analogies to kind of, oh, this seems like this, mm-hmm. let's see how well this fits into astronomy before it was astronomy, really. Right. And so it's like, basically, from there, it's like looking at Kepler, and then he said, now, in today's world, we're trying to see how we can apply Keplerian thinking, basically, in groups, and say, okay, and you have a meeting, you kind of talk about your problems and what everybody's dealing with are like some of the best labs in the world, mm-hmm. uh, like research institutes and stuff like that, yeah. even at schools. And there were some examples of, of stuff and I, I could probably pull excerpts of it. But it was really interesting is like basically the more Keplerian an institute was, the better they were at solving problems. Like the more diverse collection of people you had associated around a problem, the better you were at just like solving problems. Yeah, because you get more, you get more minds. Because the researcher said he he was like one of the researchers. He was like a third party, and he was just kind of going around research institutes as a study to see how good they could do it. And he's like basically the ones that had similar backgrounds, like all of them were like medical doctors or something mm-hmm. like that, and they were trying to solve a problem. And another lab was trying to solve the same problem with a diverse people he would see them solve it first and he'd see them how they got to the answer and know the right like protein synthesis or something and he's like seeing this other group that's hyper specialized struggling trying to figure it out and he can't say the answer because he's got to be impartial to the to the outcome it's funny there's there's (laughs) one of the movies that made a big impact on the way that i think was um Ghost in the Shell, the original animated I, one. I have, I have it bought awesome. right now, and I, I need to watch that, and I think we should talk about it as like a, so a podcast. So uh, down. Um, there's a there's a scene where the main character says at one point that if you over-specialize, you breed in weakness. Mm-hmm. And that's what it is. It's that same narrowing of the way of thinking, the same narrow... Yeah, it's like narrowing the way, field of vision. Right, like creating a formula that everybody understands that they can only stick to to solve this problem, and they can't do that 180 <laughs> degrees. They don't have that yeah. person outside of their little world that can go and check this out from another angle, mm-hmm. which a metaphor for this and a, a what's it called, parable from um, Easter, uh, Hindu, I think, Hindu? I can't remember, or Buddhist. Oh, really? Anyway, um, it's the elephant. It's the blind men and the elephant. Which yeah, is where the, they're, depending <clears throat> on where you're grabbing right, on so the elephant. There's a bunch of... <laughs> There's a bunch of blind men. There's like five different blind men. And they come across something. Like, what the hell is this? And mm-hmm. one of them goes up and touches it. And he, he, it's an elephant. And he feels the tail. And he goes, oh, it's a rope. And <laughs> he says, it's a rope. And then one goes up to the leg and he touches it. No, this is too big to be a rope. This is very clearly a tree. A tree. <laughs> like, a tree? Motherfucker, I'm touching this, which happens to be the ear. And he goes, it's a giant fern. And they all have all these totally disparate accounts, and they all start arguing with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, a, a, a sighted man comes by and he goes, you guys, no, it's an elephant. That you're all touching different parts of this elephant. 
Now, this is a parable for talking about the different religions originally. That all the religions are trying to look at the nature of reality. And Daniel Kahneman uses this in mm. happiness hypothesis as well. I didn't know is that. one of his analogies too. But what it tells us about reality and problem solving is that maybe you're stuck on the tail. Yeah. And you are convinced that this problem is a, is a rope problem. So kind no, of not. pulling this back into freedom, it seems like freedom is all about synthesis in some ways. And it's, like, you... it's like freedom is two parts. Freedom is the ability to choose and go down as far as you want and to you know, be the blind man as far as you ever want it to be. Mm-hmm. But it's also up to you to be able to look at everything and still have a baseline and figure like figure out your place in the world, right? Because like yeah. you can't go deep unless you don't like you can't you can't know where you're going unless you know where you are, in some ways. And it's like the system. If we're staying with like you know that's what Fourth of July is all about is with the United States. It's the day we declared independence on according to Great Britain, where we chose to stand for something, right? Right. And I think our founding fathers and many of them like. The Benjamin Franklin is a huge example for setting a framework, you know, with virtues and, you know, the Poor Richard's Almanac and such like that, where he was very much about empowering the individual, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's where the, the a lot of this is coming from. I mean, even I think even our, one of the core ethos of this podcast and the website is, you know, think, question, synthesize. And I don't want to be so full to say that that's something that would make sense to someone like Benjamin Franklin, but it's along the same lines of a lot of those people who think in that curious way to be able to just look at the world and be like, what is the through line? That What's kind the of pattern? What are we Yeah, what at? are we looking at? Well, freedom allows for that. I wouldn't say that you started with saying that freedom is synthesis. I wouldn't say freedom is synthesis, but freedom allows synthesis. Uh, yeah, there you go. That it's the ability to have all the different blind men and that that's yes. what freedom is. And then but have someone piece it together. And having all those blind men, yes. then you come to the truth. Yes. But then, which is why freedom is actually important, is because you actually you need to have the freedom to explore to find mm-hmm. out what reality is. Yes. But if you become too constricted in like a totalitarian government, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. or even censorship in your own life against yourself, or the things that you say, or this is why comedians are so great at exploring topics, is that they go I outside really, the realm of what's like acceptable to say mm-hmm. in order to ex- to try to find a new angle yeah. at getting at the problem and to identify what the problem is. Mm-hmm. So allowing people to do that and understanding that there's a risk of mistake there and accepting that the risk is outweighed by the reward yeah. is inherent in freedom. It's so important mm-hmm. to have freedom for that reason. So Jordan, I want to direct this question at you, and because you come at this in from a very different angle from like the science and the mm-hmm. the philosophical underpinnings of it, um, but I, I really think that on the creative spectrum, music, writing, whatever, like broadly writing, right, um, the that freedom to allow to create anything to be able to put your emotions on a page, I think that can trigger people in the narrow domains right. to pursue certain things. Yeah. And I, I want to, I wonder if you could expand on that or what your thoughts would be in that space, because yeah. I think that's one of the areas that why freedom is so important. Yeah, it is. And you guys definitely, I feel like you nailed it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, there's not really much more to add. So <laughs> what, what kind of clicked for me is when you said that you, or how I, how I kind of comprehended it is mm-hmm. like, you can't have true freedom unless there's something that was holding you 
in the first place. Yeah. If that makes sense. You know what I mean? You have to so, break the shackles of something. Right. <laughs> almost. Because there needs to be a container. Right. Then you need to break free from it and then you're free, but you're just really in another container. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It keeps going. Cause there's times when it's like, so recently I've been coming up with like a lot of stories more and more frequently. Mm-hmm. And it's to the point where it's like, you almost don't get anything done. If that makes sense. Cause yeah. there's so much to, kind of do at once so you kind of have to yeah, narrow you're like, yourself like, how do i fi- like narrow my interests right yeah. now or like i feel like my brain is spinning out of control because yeah, you can't do all of them you <laughs> yeah. know what i mean at the same time because then it's like then you're kind of cheating one or the other mm-hmm. you know what i mean so then to limit yourself and be like no this is where we're going and then you kind of go mm-hmm. full-fledged so it's weird it's like there needs to be a balance you know um yeah you guys definitely nailed it and that's you know. yeah i don't know this this topic is so in- fascinating for me because it's like this Especially in our modern world, you know, in this, this, you know, middle 2000s now at this point, the power of the internet is allowing for this individual manifestation of freedom to pursue your whatever the fuck it is, right? Your truth. <laughs> like, right, yeah, like whatever it is that it turns out to be is, is, is at once terrifying and daunting. And at the other part of it is like, how do you... There's so much in it where before to create something, right? If you think a hundred years ago, like if you were going to, you know, start a business or something, the odds of you breaking through and being a usable business or whatever was, I don't even know, but (laughs) like it had to be so ridiculously daunting to do that. And now today anyone can start an Instagram or YouTube channel or whatever. And I, even though it's more first world problems in the sense like who the hell is going to listen to my shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And as I say, that is like not even a half truth. Like that's like a whole truth. <laughs> as I say that, because like who the fuck is going to listen to this? That's the problem. <laughs> this is, there's another problem. We're bumping on something specific, which is that when you have all that we've already touched on once, which is when you have all the freedom to, choose in the world we have infinite number of choices mm-hmm. when you have that the decision, the decision paralysis yes when you're at an ice cream shop and there's a thousand different kinds of ice cream how the fuck do you pick one mm-hmm. right yes that when there's a thousand more than a thousand ten thousand different podcasts out there mm-hmm. how do you pick in a finite amount of time that you have yes how do you pick which one to listen to mm-hmm and that's a problem that the podcast comes up. And there's a sele- there's a hierarchical selection mechanism that happens mm-hmm. that as one gets listened to, it's more likely to be listened to by other people mm-hmm. and then more by other people by other people. And then the snowball goes up and then you have people like Joe Rogan who get a billion pot- right. downloads in a month. And that's normal, right? Like yeah. anything that gets popular. It happens in everything. It, it's the mm-hmm. selection bias because there's, like the, there's two theories in this, right? It's selection bias on one hand. So what's already popular is going to steal more of the po- the market share in general. And this is true in any domain. Yep. And then the other side of it is the the idea of the long tail. So that it's like, you don't need to be an overnight success and be like, you know, top one of the charts immediately. Yeah. But if you're just consistent over time, you're going to just slowly, you know, trickle in X amount of plays over time and you're going to be whatever, right? And this works in almost any domain. And from what I've seen is the long tail is kind of disputed at this point. There's, like, still not a lot of solid ground around it. Mm-hmm. 
So it's kind of hard to say that, yeah, just, you know, believe. Like, there's, I think there's a point where too much grit is not worth it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's you, you know? diminishing returns. Yeah, yeah and, and that's kind of one of the, part of the same book range is where he talked about grit a little bit. And where what he was saying is that grit might be a selection, selected bias term because where they've studied it so far is within quote-unquote gritty domains. So the first place they studied it was in uh, West Point candidates. Hmm. So it's like it's like studying NBA football players and not selecting for height because that NBA yeah. already selects for height in general. Right. So if you use, if you use the <laughs> NBA the as a measure for how tall Americans are, you think they're all six <laughs> three. <laughs> well, it's not even that. They just if you just like don't regard height, you just say basketball skill. You know, skill had and then like. There could be outliers in the sense that there's like five five or five seven players that are really good that could show studies that oh if your son is within you know five six to five eight he might be really good at basketball which is totally yeah. an outlier in general yeah. like right yeah, yeah, you really <laughs> want to know you look at well Jesus you just look at people that are five eight or whatever yeah with like six four yeah and then you'd be you across the entire world and then you go oh almost all of them don't play basketball. Right, exactly. And so that's part of the point that I wanted to bring up with just the looking at bias, like selection bias within narrow viewpoints of the world. Because when you are looking at areas and trying to select for different things, because one of the problems with this West Point study that they noted was that after they did this, they're like, oh, if you're gritty, you can figure shit out and you're going to be successful kind of thing. But they're like, wait a minute, we didn't really control for the fact that if you're at West Point, you kind of already have a whatever that is, some sort of higher level skill. Any yeah. of the just research, yeah. It, I have no idea. And then, but basically, the general public and most universities, and even my university is is culprit of this. And my own graduation, ironically, said we're grittier than the rest of them. But <laughs> it's like prove it yeah exactly so it's it's like one of those things that everybody like companies and graduations or schools were looking like saying yeah we're grittier than the rest of them which is just this bucket term that then means nothing yeah. after a while yeah everybody <laughs> uses it for everything what the fuck does it mean yeah. yeah it's almost like the word passion which is another we touched again on the necessity of distinction yeah when grit means everything it means nothing i mean i think that's a great way to segue because a lot of, like, think what we've been talking about, like, Jordan, you came out with your What is Success? Mm -hmm. And um, I built on that with an article that was released, The Feeding Fires, which is the word passion. Because passion and freedom are really, I think, intermingled in some ways. Yeah. Because it's your freedom to choose, to pursue what you want, I think. Is and a the freedom to pursue allows you to pursue your passions. Yes. What you're passionate about. Yes. And I, and I think passion itself is a term that is so overused in this world. It's like, yeah, follow your passion or follow your dreams that it doesn't hold the weight that it once did. And so then we have to use metaphors like it fire. Cliche, yeah. yeah. You, have, you have to use terms like fire. Or yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, I feel like something like passion in a weird way of thinking is almost impossible to attain. Because mm. a part of passion is always like, even if, so say there's this... <laughs> it's like you're chasing it, right? Yeah, you're always chasing. The chase never ends. Like the super passionate new actor who's just like so into his craft, mm -hmm. but the passion comes from him wanting to always, or him or Push her wanting to further. improve or yeah. do something different or something. But again, if they had all of that, 
already and like mm-hmm. there's nothing more you have to finish land and like he looks further and there's nothing to see is he still going to be passionate about it because right. he has it i mean it definitely happens right. a lot like if you yeah. if you reach the finish line are you going to keep running right right it, it's like the the olympian who's like 19 or 20 and they finally get the gold medal that's everything they've ever you know all their coaches told them they should do this like they're going to be the one you know and then they get it what the fuck do they have to reach for now yeah, like when yeah. right it's like the dark side of Success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, how do you shift your your sights then? And like, well, I've reached the pinnacle. Like, what's going to what's gonna equal to a gold medal? Or what's my new gold medal, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, what's my new measuring stick that I have to put here? And that's the dark side of being a 19, 20-year-old Olympian or superstar in any realm, yeah. right? Because, mm-hmm. like, once you've accomplished, you know, a $10 million whatever, you know, Golden Globe winning, how do you keep going? Yeah. Well, that's part of what keeps raising the bar. Like, yeah, you could imagine. I keep a thinking about player. I keep thinking Tom about Brown's working thinking out. About Tom Brady. Yeah, like the kind of pe- that's a good example. But He's it's, a really it's, good it's example. like the type of people that I'm going to play college football, and they play college football, but they have something that's nice. I'm making mm-hmm. it to the NFL, you know, or we're gonna we're gonna win the championship, mm-hmm. part, and then we're gonna make it to the NFL, and then he makes it to the NFL. Yeah. Then it's like, well, obviously now it's time to win a Super Bowl. You win right. a Super Bowl. What now? You're gonna be the best. Players that are bent, you're getting the most Super Bowl rings mm-hmm. of anybody. Yeah, and then you get the Tom Brady characters, and you get people like that. And a decade from now, there's gonna be someone that's gonna be better than Tom Brady because yeah. they're out now to, to beat Tom Brady. Right. Yeah, and then they get to like look at him and be like, use him as a blueprint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and be like, how does he? How did he do what he does to be the best? And then push the envelope. Right. right. You're limited in some sense by the. The that's one of goal Michael, that you're pursuing um, by the by the ideal that you're going after whatever <laughs> it is that you're chasing down mm-hmm. that's the thing that it doesn't limit you it enables you so having mm-hmm. a tom brady there who's as good as he is yeah allows you to be better than you would have been without a tom brady that's one yeah. of like michael jordan's famous quotes is he i think he said i don't you might know this more than me jordan um but michael jordan had said that like one day there's going to be someone better than me in basketball and that's like super like important for him to say something like that right. because even though he was the best in quotes for his time period, mm-hmm. to to be able to say that one day by him being whatever the best was in that version of it, then pushes the envelope further to be allowed you know again back to this like pushing the envelope and drilling deep onto a subject. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about this. this is really cool too. I can take this. This is a neat little uh, aside, but I've thought about this a little bit in like ethics, but. Mm-hmm. In, I can use basketball as a metaphor. So imagine you have a society that, and this is how the bar keeps getting raised, is what yeah. I'm trying to explain. How the bar continues to get raised. And it's an evolutionary um, explanation for how that happens. Yes. So imagine you have a society that the number one thing is basketball. You're the shit mm-hmm. if you are fucking good at basketball. You're the top. You're, ba- you're like the fucking president. There's no better. You are you are literally the ideal human being is a kick-ass basketball player. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... What happens is not only are they doing this whole mechanism we just described, where they're aiming for to be the best and they're comparing mm-hmm. themselves to the people that came before them, and that yeah. enables them to be better. But what also happens is because the society values basketball players and they look at that as a symbol of status, they will use that as a means of selecting for reproduction. Hmm. So huh. you have, like we talked about the hierarchies between men and women, so. you have the women that are selecting high-quality basketball players. So now there's a feedback loop. Where generation after generation gets better and physically more and more predisposed 
to be better at basketball. Whoa. Because we're selection. Yeah, we're selecting for basketball players. That this culture itself is designing its Dude, biology that's crazy. to adhere to a basketball framework. And it's almost like our society is now selecting for this like freedom, like with the internet proliferating. It's like self-selecting for ever more variations on pathways, I guess you would call it in general. Like the amount of things that someone could do with their time. Well, it's so new. I don't know if we're selecting for it. It's true. I guess you're right. I guess we might end up. It's still developing, right? Like right, this. it's so new. Uh, how many generations have existed in the last ten years? When these one, been right. huge. Right? Well, we're in it, right? Right. We're 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 examples of the first wave, I guess. I mean, we'll be <laughs> selecting for if you look at what we're doing with like schools, like public schools, is mm-hmm. we're making them to like STEM programs. Yeah, yes. So we true. will be selecting for that. Almost, we already are. Mm-hmm. We already are, and we and sometimes we have to like just culturally so leave the biological stuff aside, like reproduction, but. If we create a culture where the way to succeed is to be good at STEM, mm-hmm. then the people who are good at STEM will be be the ones that succeed, mm-hmm. and then will be selected yeah. to reproduce because they have the status and all this. Right, and then it'll go. Now it's not a perfect thing. It doesn't mean that people that aren't good at STEM won't be selected. Also, it's right. complicated. But <laughs> for a long period of time, you will find people. We will be as a culture really good at STEM. Yeah, because that's, that's just because the way the world keep, seems to be going. We keep birthing people that are good, that have a predisposition for it because we want those people. There's some interesting studies Mm -hmm. that because of the modern world, and this is, again, back to the range book, which I'm absolutely fascinated by, that the modern human, someone who's in an urban environment, we are predisposed to being good at making conceptual models of our world. So for, for... just the easy example is if they interview people from a modern world and even slightly modernized, doesn't even have to be completely, versus a rural person, like a tribal person or someone who has no context. Papua New Guinea kind of stuff. Yeah, stuff like that. And you try to – you give them like categorization examples like, okay, I'm going to give you a log, an axe, and like three tools or something like that and say separate these into groups or which one doesn't belong, right? The person who's not urbanized in any way be like, well – the, none of these tools make sense without the log, so I can't separate it. It just doesn't work. Whereas us, we could look at it and be like, oh, these are these three are tools, that's the log, easy, but done. And we are super predisposed to being able to look at the world and framework things and overlay. Like, if you remember when we were kids, those little, like, uh, filter lenses, then you had, like, the levers on the sides over yeah. your glasses, and you could see different shapes or whatever. Yeah. That's legitimately what, what we do all the time this, as this, little kids. This completely reinforces the point I was trying to make about culture. <laughs> culture is a continuation, is getting better and better and better at categorizing oh, and creating conceptions. It's the Raven it's, score is the the actual measure of this model. It's, it's part of the Flynn effect. And then basically the general arithmetic, I just remembered it right now, but the other score is called the Raven score, which is conceptual modeling of mm-hmm. the world. And Raven score is just like, right, like well, through the, the roof. This doesn't shock me because <laughs> I was talking about how the development of culture is cultures are differentiating in part. That's not all they do. In part, right. they're just differentiating things so that you can distinguish between tree A and tree B. Yeah. And in this case, those that have the most long-term development of that culture – compared to a tribal culture that's basically stayed the same for the last 10,000 years, that culture that's changed a lot has gotten better at distinguishing between things and is then able to do so. So 
I'm, you're reinforcing my point, bro. I know. It's <laughs> freaking amazing. I love this stuff. It's, <laughs> it's fascinating to me. And, uh, I mean, we're already at 45 minutes, so I don't know if we want to do this for a full hour or anything. Cause that should be good. Yeah. I don't want to spend all It's day. a bonus episode, and yeah. we yeah. got a party to go. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to write an article expanding on this. I need to wrap no my way. head around it. Yeah. So something clicked, like, just a se- before you started talking about culture, something clicked. And I think we're kind of revolving that true freedom doesn't really exist. It's kind of what we're circling around. Yeah, it does seem like that. Um, so I kind of want to expand on like that. Freedom, but I just need to really. We touched on your other article too, your your success one, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that article. Also. Yeah, yeah. I so, literally, yeah, yeah. I'm I having to read the new. One I'm having that, a lot so. of fun writing articles that are interplays between all of our ideas. Like it's kind of cool. Really? Like it's such a crazy thing to be yeah. able to have this little ecosystem of. People ideas, our own little thing. you know, it's like almost like biology in action, where you have ideas instead as the organism. The mimetic, the mimetic <laughs> dimension, not the genetic. So, with that, everyone, have a great Fourth of July. Deuces. Peace. I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening, and please enjoy the show. You just listened to an episode of Feeding Curiosity. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a like, subscribe, go check out the website over at feedingcuriosity.net and all the other things that we're doing there. And once again, thank you all for tuning in, and we will see you in the next episode.